Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as we recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us here this morning. We are in a series called The Significant Events of the Old Testament here in lovely Wisconsin. As we go along, this, we're 16 days away from boating season. But who's counting? Yeah, hallelujah. It's going to be beautiful. I can smell the bratwurst already. Ah, significant events of the Old Testament. We are now to the life of Moses. Last week we talked about the plagues that Moses, under the direction of the Lord, brought. Well, Moses told him the Lord brought these plagues on Egypt to let the people go. They did not want to let them go. Why? They were slaves, man. These people brought them a lot of money. A lot of money. Boy, if you can get people to work for you for free, that really helps your bottom line. I got to tell you. And, uh, and they didn't want to let them go. So finally, after being hammered and hammered and hammered, then they came to the final plague, the final one, because they finally gave up was uh, the death angel came and uh, the firstborn of each household was taken and, uh, and, and died. And he said, why would such a horrible thing happen? Well, it's hard to understand a lot of these things in the Old Testament. One thing's for sure, it got their attention. And uh, uh, the Israelites were told to uh, mark their homes with the blood of a lamb and that sort of thing, all the great analogies that we have today. And then that the angel the death angel would pass over them, hence the celebration of Passover, which we actually celebrate to a degree every Sunday when we have communion, because Jesus' last supper was actually the Passover meal. And then he directed it, he says, this is my body and this is my blood. He becomes the Lamb of God, who's the ultimate sacrifice for all our sins. And uh, anyway, fascinating. So anyway, we pick it up now in Exodus, the 12th chapter, verse 31, after this horrible night, actually still during the night, actually, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, up, leave my people, you and the Israelites, go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks, your herds, as you have said, and go. And also bless me. So what he's really saying is he's yielding to this God. Go ahead, go, and then pray for me that I will have favor from this God. So the Egyptians, all the people, urged the people to hurry and leave the country. <laughs> Get out of here. I mean, at this point, they have had it up to here. One disaster after another, disaster after another. They, I'm sure they're all thinking, when is Pharaoh going to let these people go? Because there's a lot of them at this point had really had it. Finally, he lets them go. All the Egyptians said, all right, go, man, go. Otherwise, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. So they didn't even have time to put the yeast in the bread. 
that's why they still would celebrate the unleavened bread as a reminder that when they left Egypt, they didn't even have time for that. Okay? And also, that's the bread that Jesus took, and that's why our bread in communion is always this flat little thing that's had no yeast added to it. The Egyptians did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. So the Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed to the people, and they gave, <laughs> that's an understatement, and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. So they basically, anything they wanted, they could take. Oh, can, I, can I have that coat? Yeah. Yeah, take it. How about that vase over there? Yeah, great. That gold ring you got, you really need that. I mean, so they're taking everything. Whatever they ask, take it, take it, take it. So they plundered the Egyptians. When these guys left Egypt, they were loaded for bear. They had so much gold and silver and wealth, they took the wealth of Egypt with them. And we'll eventually get to it. They got so much gold, they decide to, gee, what are we going to do with all this gold? Moses hasn't been around for a whole 40 days. Let's make a golden calf. That's how loaded they were. So anyway, they plundered uh, the Egyptians and... Uh, the Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot. Besides the women and children, this is well over a million people, if not a couple of million people. That's a lot of folks. Now, many other people went up with them, and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. Uh, with the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and didn't have time to prepare the food for themselves. So here they go. This is a massive. That's why the book is called the book of Exodus that we're reading here. It's a massive exodus. That means a leaving. All these massive people. Can you imagine millions of people on foot taking off? Now, the length of the time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. That's a long time in slavery. At the end of the 430 years to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out. So, uh, so they're going. It says uh, in Exodus 13, verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was shorter. So it's a direct, much, much more of a direct route. So God actually takes them a longer way around. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God knew them. All right, as soon as things they felt threatened, they're going to hoof it right back to Egypt. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt sometimes in your life that God is really taking the long road. Have you ever felt that? It's like, Lord, if you would just do this, life would go a whole lot easier. And the Lord goes, yep, I know. <laughs> then why are we going to heart? Because I know you. All right. This path that God puts you on, at times it might seem a little crazy, a little ridiculous, a bit unnecessary, and certainly a lot longer. Well, just hang in there, buttercup, all right? God is not done with you, and this is for your good. He knows. He's figured it out. I'm sure if you all won the lottery tomorrow, you'd all be a lot happier than today, but he doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to trust in him. So um, God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. They're all ready to go. Moses took the bones of Joseph. Remember, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. And then Joseph is the one who actually, the coat of many colors, that whole thing that we went through, winds up in Egypt. And that's how the Israelites all got there. 
there weren't that many of them in the beginning. Now there's millions of them. And uh, so they're taking uh, Joseph with them because he'd made the Israelites swear. Uh, he said, God will surely come to your aid. Then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. So after leaving Sukkoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. So, I mean, this is pretty impressive. You know, you would, you would think that these people would be so filled with faith uh, after everything they had seen, but they weren't. That's why, you know, sometimes a lot of people say, well, how come God doesn't be more dramatic and show us more stuff and help more stuff? More people would believe. Not really. That's not what, you know, people seeing here doesn't do anything. We talked about that when we talked about uh, Lazarus being raised, raised from the dead. I see someone raised from the dead. I'm pretty much convinced. <laughs> but these hard-hearted little ninnies, when they saw it, they still didn't believe. And he'd been dead for days. It wasn't like he just had, you know, gas. I mean, this guy was dead, dead, dead. Raises him from the dead. And the religious leaders' response to that, we got to kill him. And they did. It was just a short time later, a week or so later, they crucified him to a cross. That was their response to Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. You would think the Israelites would be so full. I mean, they have seen so many miracles at this point. It is beyond comprehension. And now they are out there in the desert, and, and they're following. Obviously, they're going the, long, you know, the wrong way, really. We say the long way. It's not really the long way. It's the wrong way. They're headed to the sea. There's a problem. They don't have boats for a million, two million people. <laughs> so instead of going where you could go, they're headed the wrong, it felt like the wrong direction. Again, anybody felt like that before? So here they're going, they're headed, and the way they know to go is they're following, during the days, this big clop, we're following it. Then at night it turns into flames. I mean, wow. This is, this is before light bulbs, but this is cool. All right? So they're following this thing. And again, you would think, oh my goodness, these people really know God. They don't. And the real lesson, and we'll keep bringing this up as we go through this whole thing. The real lesson through all of this is that you need to see with your heart. That's how you experience God, not to see here. These people saw all kinds of stuff and they still had no faith. Moses goes up to the mountain to get the, the, the Ten Commandments. Forty days, forty days. We're just a little more than a month. By the time he comes back, they're dancing around worshiping a cow. Now, we're from Wisconsin. <laughs> you don't worship cows, okay? I don't care how nice of a cow it is. Golden calf, and they're all, you know, praising the cow for bringing them out. Talk about having a cow. So anyway, they complete, all this stuff did not do what you think it would do. Don't think, boy, I, I need to see something here necessarily. What you need to say, Lord, help me see here. Because when you can see with the eyes of your heart, that's what will change you forever. It's called faith. All right, so this is all going, and they're heading the wrong direction, heading to the sea. Now, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. What's the point here? Money. Money, money, money. 
money. Boy, you, when people start losing money, they get crazy. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Maybe it's, you've seen it in your family. Maybe you've got caught up in this nonsense. But you want to see normal, everyday people go nuts, throwing a bunch of money and watch them fight. Somebody dies, right? Granny kicks off. Granny leaves a bunch of money. I got a lot of life insurance on me. I'm afraid you guys are going to knock me off one of these days. Oh, my. And then, boy, everybody goes nuts. Don't raise your hands. But, man, I have seen this many times. People I would have never dreamed in a million years get as nasty as they get. Christians, until they're fighting about money. Oh, it's money. Now we're talking. Now, money in and of itself is not the problem. It's when they fight over it. And people get crazy. They go crazy, get angry at each other. They start suing each other. By the way, something Christians are not supposed to do. Take another Christian in court. Now, they do it all the time. Got a million and one reasons for it. Some of the most well-known pastors and stuff in America have taken people to court over stuff. That's always about money. They deliberately ignore what the scripture says because, yeah, I know the Bible says it, but we're talking a lot of money. See, it's because about money, boy, people get a little nuts. They don't get caught up in all that nonsense. It's an ugly place to be. Well, these guys, after all the plagues they had gone through, it hits them. Oh, man, it's going to cost us a lot of jack, Jack. Who's going to clean everything? I ain't cleaning it. You clean it. I ain't cleaning it. What do you mean? All of a sudden, there's nobody here to clean it. Right? Well, I don't know if you've ever been in a place where they have lots of servants and stuff. You go to really poor countries, right? And uh, we were just in South Africa. A lot of poverty in South Africa. It's, it's, it's pretty wild. It's like, it's not a third world country. It's like modern uh, Western country, but, uh, and the richest country in Africa. But they go from that all the way to great poverty. And as a result, poverty, the people, you know, are willing to do anything for work. And uh, they have servants, you know, uh, they pay them, but it's like, can you imagine if for $100 a month, you could have somebody who will clean your house every day, wash your clothes, get your kids out of bed, amen. dressed up, amen, the mom says, but I put them to bed, every, I'm telling you. So we were there for like several weeks, and this is cool. I like it a lot. Right? And they, they, are, they are washing our clothes every day. I could have brought like two pairs of underwear for the whole trip, man. I mean, just, you know, I got all this stuff. And like, we didn't even use half of it. Every day they're coming and cleaning and the floors and everything. I mean, it's like, oh, my goodness. And when they knew it was time for us to pack up, by the time we got to the place, everything was already packed up. They took all of everything, had it all packed up, folded. I mean, and nice. You should see the way I fold. Throw it in, you know what I'm saying? No, this is like, whoa, impressive stuff. And then I got back home, and first couple of days, it was like, this was very painful here. <laughs> because I'm, <laughs> oh, who's, where, where's the lady to clean my underwear? Oh, I got to clean the underwear. Oh, this really bites, right? So all of a sudden, the Egyptians realize, oh, no, oh, no, we got to do it ourselves. So he said, what have we done? They changed their mind. So he had his chariot made ready. And took his army with him. We're going to go get back and get those rascals. He took 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers all over them. Now, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up 
And there were the Egyptians marching after them, and they were terrified. You think? First of all, we're going the wrong way. It's not like, gee, let's run. There's a sea there, and they're trapped. And here come the Egyptians, and they're, you know, walk like an Egyptian. And they're coming at them, and they are freaking out. And they start crying out. And they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? They were very positive people, you know. And they're like this constantly. They are like this constantly. You would think, with all the miracles, and right now they've got, you know, the big cloud, the fire, and all this stuff going on, they would have some faith. They had no faith. Zilch. Because they could never hear, see, hear. And oh, you, you brought us out here to die. We're all going to die. Oh, bother. Everything's horrible. It's going to be awful. What have you done bringing us up out of Egypt? Oh, why did you? We were in Egypt. You took us out of Egypt. There were slaves in Egypt, abused in Egypt. Boy, all of a sudden they missed it in a hurry. Anyway, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. Man, are they backpedaling. It would have been better us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm. You'll see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Then Moses turns to God. What are you doing? And he's freaking out. <laughs> like this. Next, this is verse 15. Then the Lord says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Why? <laughs> Aren't you in charge? <laughs> See, he never got it. He was happy. Well, he eventually got it. He wasn't getting it that God had given him so much authority. So much authority. Christians have the same problem. We are the children of God. And God, in the promises of his word, has given us all kinds of uh, ways to make things possible that are impossible. And we have authority in us as believers in Jesus. We don't need to be running around afraid of everything all the time. But what do we do? We run around afraid of everything all the time. And it's like God says, hello, yoo-hoo, McFly, what's with you? Pay attention. You've got some authority in you. He said, tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide the water so that the Israelites can go through on the sea on dry ground. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all, now this is a part of the Bible that is, you don't realize because we watch, you know, Cecil B. DeMille on, in movies and stuff, and whatever that last movie of Moses was, that thing sucked. What was that thing called? God, Gods and Generals, is that what it is? No. It's the Christian Baal. Moses going around blowing things up before there was dynamite invented. I mean, I don't know, it's the stupidest movie. Anyway, so he goes... And he's stretching out. We see in the movies, where he goes, and all of a the water peels back. It didn't happen like that. What happened, it says, uh, he stretches uh, his hand over the sea, and all night, all that night, the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. So this peeling back took all night long. You know. And the wind just, just massive wind, and it's pushing everything back, and the waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. 
That'd be a little creepy, wouldn't it? Mommy, look at the fish. Keep moving, keep moving. <laughs> and then the Egyptians, they don't care. They went after them. All of Pharaoh's horses and chairs and horsemen followed them into the sea. They're crossing on dry. And if they can do it, we can do it. And the Lord says, again, on the other side, here come the Egyptians. The Lord says to Moses, stretch your hand over the seas so that the waters may flow back <laughs> over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. So here they come out on the other side. They are finally free. They don't got to worry about any Egyptians coming after them. The army's been decimated. All the ones that came after them were all destroyed. And not between them, you know, they, they got the sea between them. So things are good, right? Well, Exodus 16. So in the desert, the whole community starts moaning and groaning and grumbling against Moses and Aaron. The Egyptians said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Oh, Egypt, oh. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. You were slaves, you Nimrods. They kept feeding you because you keep working. But they couldn't see that. It's amazing sometimes how tempting it is to turn back from the path that you're on. But now you brought us out in the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Because they got hungry. There were no McDonald's in the area. And they wanted to turn back. You know, Peter... There's a proverb, actually, in the Proverbs. Peter quotes the Proverbs in his epistle, 2 Peter 2.22. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to his vomit. And a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. He's warning us. You start in faith. Hang in there. Stay true. Don't turn back. Man, sometimes, you know, it seems, man, it's easier to go back to a life where you're not trusting God, you just control everything yourself. And to a degree it is easier, but not fulfilling, often very destructive. And he warns, man, don't do that. Don't be like a pig wanting to go back and roll around in the mud. Jesus warned the same thing in Luke, in his gospel, he said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God, for service in the kingdom of God. Keep looking forward. Don't, don't keep doing it. And some of y'all, I'm telling you, some of y'all do this because of deep wounds and hurts that you have in your life, you're constantly trying to fix the past. You're trying to feel, yeah, but that person was mean to me, and, and that was a horrible, horrible thing, and, and God's trying to bring you forward. You spent all your time doing this, all your time doing Look, I know people have had some horrible pasts and stuff, but at some point, you just got to let God heal that and move forward and quit looking back. You can't undo what's been done. You just can't. Some of you made terrible mistakes. It's not even about what somebody did to you. It's what you did. And you're under such guilt. You know, I did that horrible thing. I should have never. And the whole time you're, you're doing this. You're doing this. Don't do that. You do that, you're not fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Look forward. Don't be like the Egyptians. Here they are on the greatest journey any group of people has ever experienced. And they're doing this the whole time. Looking back at Egypt. So they're whining about. They're hungry. The Lord said to Moses in Exodus 16, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. 
In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Of course, of course they don't. On the sixth day, they're to prepare what they bring in and that to be uh, twice as much they gather on the other day. So every day they gather enough for the day. On the sixth day, they can gather for two days because they're supposed to rest on the seventh day. Uh, we read in verse 14, when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. The Israelites saw it, and they said to each other, what is this? For they didn't know what it was. Moses said to them, it's the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer. Everybody knows what an omer is, right? Three pounds. I don't know why they don't translate it. Three pounds. They put it in English, but they give us an omer. So they took an omer for each person that you have in your tent. And then Moses tells them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. What a shock. They kept part of it until morning. But when they got up, it was full of maggots and began to reek. Man, Moses was so mad. These people would make him mad. He finally got so mad, he loses it. And God doesn't let him into the promised land. After all of this, because those people drove him so crazy. We'll get there. Stay tuned. All right. So anyway, each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. Then on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported it to Moses. And he said to them, this is what the Lord commands. Tomorrow will be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake, boil what you want to boil, save whatever is left, keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. So six days you're to gather it, but on the seventh day, on the Sabbath, there won't be any. And of course, what do they do? Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the Sabbath day looking for, <laughs> where is it? Where is it? It's gone. It's gone. They were probably whining about it then. So the people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Sounds good. I think they get a little tired of it after 40 years, but you know, this, this is what they, uh, and then God would bring them meat. Quails would come down flying low enough they could just pick them out of the sky. You don't even need a shotgun. I like that one, you know. So God took care of them. It was really quite fascinating. Why, why this emphasis on uh, uh, doing it every day? God wants them to, God wants us to trust him every day. They don't, our nature is we don't want to trust every day. We want to make sure that we got enough for a long time to come. Now, obviously we don't live under this kind of thing and there's not manna coming from heaven and it's not going to rot and reek the next day. But the same principle applies. Jesus said, give us this day enough bread to last us for six months so we don't have to worry about anything. No, that's not what he says, right? We just prayed it together. Give us today. Give us what we need today. Our nature is um, we don't want to just trust for today. Now, I get it. I mean, there's, we don't live in this day, and there's a certain degree of wisdom, certainly, to plan ahead and to put some stuff aside. I mean, I, I get that. In fact, today, there are people who think they're having faith, but they're just slobs. They live from week to week paycheck, right? Because they, they, they spend everything they got. They spend it all in advance. They go to the Massa, Massa card. 
Master, oh, master, give me some more money, master. Then they start working for the, for the slave owners. Make no mistake, slavery is not done. There is still slavery in the heart of men. Men are always wanting to enslave others. And there's some egregious examples of it today, white slavery and different things like that, sex slavery, all these different things. But man, there's debt slavery in America. These people are making huge sums of money while you work your butts off to pay them massive amounts of interest, 25, 30% interest, because we get caught up in this stuff. We think, ooh, they're my friend. They give me a higher credit limit. That, they're not your friend, all right? They want you in slavery. And they hate it when you pay off their credit cards, by the way. You know, the guys like me who pay off your credit card every month, you know what they call them? Slackers. You know, they don't like it. In, in the industry, they don't like it. They like you guys who give, put in your minimum payments. That puts a big smile on their face. And that means they got you. You're going to be working for them. For, be careful about that stuff. Be careful. This, this debt is not your friend. It will start to suck the life out of you. And, and I get you want us to live wisely. And stuff, but still, we need to be in a place where don't put your trust in money. Don't put your trust in wealth because uh, it's misplaced. There's no safe place for any of it anyway. You know? Why do you think they have? You know how many people have had huge fortunes and it's all gone just like that? People who have massive businesses and boom, it's gone like that. Something goes wrong in the business, the whole thing bellies up. It happens all the time. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll be safe, I'll invest in the stock market. <laughs> That's a smart move, all right? Because, I mean, it's good, good return, but that whole thing could crash and you lose everything. Well, I'll put it in the bank. Well, you ever heard of a bank failing? What happens? You get stuck, man. It's an ugly thing. You don't put your hope in trust. I was good to be wise. Well, I'll stick it in my mattress. Well, all somebody's going to come in your house and find your mattress and you're going to take all your money. You can't put your trust in There's no place that you can be guaranteed Nothing bad will ever happen to you. And the truth is, we're not supposed to be in that place anyway. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, command those who are rich in this present world. Some people do fairly well. And it's okay to have money. But he says, command those not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Even people with money need to learn to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Money in and of itself is an uncertain thing. We need to learn to trust God. Clearly, clearly our lives would be easier if we were all independently wealthy. Why doesn't God just make every born-again Christian the beautiful thing when you ask Jesus in your heart, you got a million dollars in the bank? A lot more people come to church, I'll tell you that. But why? Because you don't trust him then. You having everything that you need all the time and never having any struggles is not good for your faith. Sometimes you taking the wrong road, it seems like, taking the long way around, not getting everything you need right away, it puts you in a good place where you can trust him. And the more you trust him, the more he can bless you and the better your life will be. So anyway, if we finish off in Exodus, the 16th chapter, verse 35, the Israelites ate manna for 40 years. Why 40 years? It wasn't a 40-year journey. How long of a trip was it? Do you know how long it would have taken to go from Egypt to six days, something like that? I mean, we're talking a fairly short trip. Let's say they're slow. Two million people, a lot of people to move. Let's say it takes a month. All right. 40 years it took them. Why did it take them 40 years? We're going to find out as we continue looking into this. But he just kind of summarizes here. They ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. The promised land. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. 
What happens then? It stops. It stops. Now they got to work for a living. You see, sometimes things change. If you'll notice as you grow in your faith, sometimes you hit periods of time in your faith where it's harder than it was before. Man, it was so easy before. Yeah? Why is it harder now? Time to grow. Time to move along, doggy. You, doggy, move along, doggies. Let's go. Time to grow in your faith. Sometimes you'll hit periods of time where it seems harder. Well, it is harder. Not just seems, it is harder. And it's actually God still working in your life. Teaching us to grow. Teaching us to mature. Teaching us to trust Him more. Hallelujah. We'll pick up the rest of the story next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness and your grace. Lord, as we look at the Israelites and how they, despite seeing so many miracles, were so hard in their heart and they still wouldn't trust in you. Help us, Lord, not to be like that. Help us to trust you. I know sometimes it's easy to get impatient and we start showing you how things will go a lot better. <laughs> but God, you know the best for us. Help us to trust you. Help us to grow in our faith. Help us not to lose heart and to give up when things seem overwhelming. Help us to do, as the scriptures tell us, to cast all of our cares on you. To take all our anxieties and live anxiety-free by just throwing it all on you and to trust you. Because the more we do this, the greater we will be blessed. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. See you next Sunday.